2: Hi, I'm Mari Forth and I'm Sarah Carradine. And this is Crime Scene, the true crime review podcast where we get to the heart of how true crime stories are told. We'll put documentary features, short series and long running
1: episodic shows under the magnifying glass and examine what true crime stories can tell us
2: about ourselves. We'll have fascinating guests each week to discuss our true crime passions with new and recent releases, as well as classics.
1: We'll give you our recommendations and suggestions for more viewing, listening and reading
2: on the side. Let's open today's file. We watched A Crime to Remember, Season 2, Episode 2, Shot Doctor.
1: Alright, this week we have a great guest. We have a post-show recaps mainstay. She reviews all of the Marvel properties. We're talking WandaVision. We're talking uh, Loki. Uh, also, Star Wars properties. Hello, Book of Boba Fett. What's up, Mandalorian? And of course, she's my sister from another mister because we co-hosted the Insecure final season together. Miss Latanya Starks. Latanya. How's it going? Hey,
3: Mari, Sarah, thank you so much for having me. Very mm-hmm. excited to be here to talk some true crime for the first time ever on RHAP.
1: Yeah, this yes, is exactly. Monumentous. Yes, yes, it is. Yes, it is. We we're here. We are talking true crime, and of course, we want to know what what draws you to true crime. What? Why is it popular to to you? Why do you watch?
3: I have loved true crime in some respects since I was a kid. Uh, I think it was because growing up, uh, I heard stories all of the time about um, crimes that would occur uh, with my grandmother specifically. Uh, My grandma and my mom are both from Mississippi and Mm. they uh, lived right in front of the Tallahatchie River which is famously known as the river where Emmett Till's body was removed. Mm-hmm. Um, they had fa- several family members who were lynched or had mm-hmm. other harm brought upon, upon them. We have members of our family in Parchman Prison to this day. So, uh, you know, it, it's almost a pedigree of true crime. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that, and I, Mari, I'm sure you'll understand this, there's a history of oral storytelling in the Black community Largely because, you know, you know, in times of slavery, we weren't allowed to know how to write and many of us could not write. So mm-hmm. stories were passed down. Um, and mm-hmm. that still continues to this day. You know, even though we are, thank God, allowed to be literate, um, mm-hmm. the, the history of oral storytelling still has not gone anywhere. And I feel like I learned so, so much about my family through true crime. Um, but also I just was that when I was young, wanted to be a forensic pathologist. So ah. uh, my mom, who was a nurse and I would watch autopsies by Dr. Bodden um, on HBO, which is a totally normal thing for a child to do with their mother. <laughs> it is a perfect mother daughter activity um, that normal people do. Um, yeah. And so yeah, I, I strayed away from that path eventually, but that didn't leave me from being completely obsessed with serial killers, um, to this day. Um, you know, from being from Chicago, we've got John Wayne Gacy. We've got Ed Gein uh. in downstate Illinois. Um, to name just a few, there are still tons of serial killers out there that are active and several of them in Chicago. Um, so. Yeah, I've just loved true crime in one way or another since I was very young and have never really had the opportunity to talk about it outside of friendship circles before.
1: Wow, we I mean that's amazing. Um do you want to talk about don't you have a a law background as well? Yeah,
3: I do. So I uh after graduating from college went to law school at Chicago Kent and uh while I was there my main focus uh, was shaping up to be defense and criminal defense at that. So mm-hmm. I, uh, there are clinics that are available at Kent where you can uh, submit a writing sample. They look at your grades and, you know, they determine which of the clinics you should be in. You can rank your preference and then they just decide based on a combination of your rankings and what they think your writing sample shows where you should be. And so I got to wow. be in the criminal defense clinic, which was the top clinic in the school. It was very exciting. I was really Whoa. happy about that one.
1: Incredible. Um,
3: and so one of the things that you do when you're in the criminal defense clinic is you assist in the, uh, what was it called? You, you assist. It's still called a clinic. You assist in the legal clinic and those, that clinic is handling actual cases. So the professors who are on board at Northwestern are also, or sorry, at you, uh, at, uh, Kent are also representing people for various cases. So my first caseload that I ever got assigned, I think it was 10, 12 cases. And they were very, very severe felony charges. It was murder, murder, attempted murder, wow. uh, rape, armed robbery, home invasion just like the list went on and on and, you know, you have to go visit those clients then in downstate um, mm-hmm. in, in prison. Um, I unfortunately ended up getting ill story of my life. Um, and in my two L year, halfway through my second year, I had to leave law school, but oh. I, I loved it. I loved being there and I love the opportunity to get to learn and was very happy that they had faith in me. They were already talking about uh, getting me to take the test at the end of my 2L year so I could have what's called gone in front of the bar, which is essentially that I would have been able to practice as a law student under the supervisor of a licensed attorney. And so wow. I would have been able to get a jumpstart on that just all from being in the criminal defense clinic and because they thought that I could write briefs well.
1: That's amazing to hear. And it's, I'm so glad to hear that because, you know, we've talked a lot, but we rarely mm. ever get to talk about our backgrounds. I, you know, I've talked about it on, on pod friends and, and, um, other episodes about how I too got a master's degree in like forensic science and went the forensic science, uh, tried to go the forensic science route um but ended up in like corporate america because it's just easier <laughs> like it's, it's easier to land yeah, there sure. more than than anything uh sarah do you, like i know you you have a theater background but what do you think about latanya's i mean that that's a great background to have to be here and talk about especially what we're talking
2: about today Oh, absolutely. Incredible. Mm -hmm. The fact that you have had hands-on experience with these cases and you see how they work their way through the justice system. I mean, that's something that we're going to be seeing again and again in the series about uh, not only how each property centres the victim or doesn't, mm-hmm. but also how it, uh, how it portrays the, the justice system. I mean, my brush with that is being on a jury, a very horrible crime uh, about mm. um, uh, 10 years ago uh, while my father was dying. Mm. So actually, sorry, 20 years ago. <laughs> time, time stands still. What yeah. is. Um, yeah. But, uh, yes, I was on a three-week uh, uh, jury trial and um it was a very difficult uh, time for all of us and in fact uh, about 10 years later i came across i met one of my fellow jurors in a tiny town in tuscany and uh, wow. we both immediately talked about how difficult that it had been for us i mean poor us sitting on the jury right <laughs> no it's um, very, very hard, hard to, to be on a jury but we weren't the victims and we weren't the um, the, uh, the perpetrators. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, yes, Latonya, that's incredibly impressive. It, was there a reason Thank that you. you didn't take that step to do the test so that you could practice as a law student? Uh,
3: well, I, it was just a matter it of health. Uh, it, yeah, it health. was. Yeah, yeah, I would have had to wait a certain amount of months because you have to be going into your third year in order to do that. Uh, and so I ended up uh, getting sick before that time would have allowed me to do so. I'm um, um, sorry. Yeah, it's okay. But I mm-hmm. was really interested in things like voir dire uh, and jury selection. I I wanted, uh, I thought if the criminal defense thing didn't work out for me, I wanted to become a consultant for a jury consultant, which Ooh, is essentially, okay. yeah, the people that are hired, I'm sure you know, but yeah. just for the audience, people who are hired, uh, typically, in bigger cases, um, either by they can, it can be in criminal cases, cases, but a lot of times it's in corporate law, and uh, mm. you are hired essentially to take a look at all of the the people who are in the potential jury pool, and then signal to uh, the you know the attorney. Whether or not they should use one of their preemptory challenges to stop this juror from getting onto the jury, or whether or not the juror will be good for us, our side, and we should let them on and have no challenge to it. Yeah.
1: I, that's why I have not been on a jury yet. Every time I'm like scheduled to do it, it like the week I'm scheduled to do it, nothing happens. Like there's like no <laughs> cases. So yeah, I never know. Yeah. And then I'm like, even if I managed to get to that point, I can't imagine. I would actually be let onto a jury just because be like, I, that's how I'd be like, yeah, I have a master's in <laughs> yeah. science. Exactly. I have a, now yeah. I'd be like, I have a true crime podcast. Like, exactly. This is a worst <laughs> yeah. nightmare. They really don't want
3: like the, our professors right. always used to say to us, if you want to get out of ju- doing jury duty, just tell them you're in law school because they don't want anyone yeah. who might want to bring their own legal expertise into no, a jury yeah. room they want yeah, to exactly. have it as untainted as possible
2: yeah. i always say to people like people are famously here and i believe in your beautiful country how to get out of jury duty it becomes mm-hmm. the conversation and i say look i'm not a goodie two shoes i look like one but i'm not one but i do think it is a civic duty and if we want to have a fair uh uh, justice system mm-hmm. then we have a responsibility to be on the jury if I you know god forbid ever go before a jury I would like you know people <laughs> I would like yeah. to have people who want to be there um mm-hmm. it's simultaneously the most fascinating and the most boring uh three weeks ah! of my life right. um I mean I, I have tales to tell but the interesting thing for me was it the the actual selection was was pretty rote we shuffled through we had numbers we shuffled through here, we shuffled through there, dropping off as we went. And finally, 12 numbers were called and um, uh, my number was second. So I we filed into the box. And one by one, we had to stand up. And when we stood up, uh, the uh, silk and the uh, crown, the, the silk is the very expensive um, barrister for the defence, mm-hmm. and uh, Mr. Crown, in case in this case it was a man, Mr. Crown is the Crown prosecutor, in other words, representing the, uh, the state. Um, they could say challenge or not. The only person they challenged, this was so interesting to me because we ended up uh, 10 women and two men, uh, all white, apart from one young uh, Muslim girl, um, but uh, the woman to my uh, right was a middle-aged white woman as i was myself and then she stood up mm-hmm. no problem i stood up no problem the middle-aged white woman to my left stood up and they both said challenge and to this day i have no idea why they didn't know our name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there was no questioning we didn't we we hadn't even said a word uh, yeah. and they, they didn't know That's our identities. Funny. There was no questioning of us or our beliefs or anything, but both of them said challenge. And the judge just very kindly said to her, you're excused. I think she was a bit annoyed. I think she was. <laughs> maybe she looked a bit too eager. Uh, maybe mm. the maybe she was making strangling motions with her hands. I don't know. What. <laughs> but um, <laughs> And then everybody else uh, stood up and sat We're down good. with no problem at all. Hmm. So, uh, yeah.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm just saying. I would love to. I would love to serve on a jury. I I truly would. I would. I would just. I would want to see if somebody would let me
0: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. But all
1: of this is very relevant. Uh, this conversation is very relevant to the property that we are um, uh, talking about today. So, LaTanya, can you tell us what uh, show you made us watch? Like, I don't want to say you made us watch, but I... we love to ask our guests to do a recommendation. Yeah. And then we watch and we talk about it. So what what, what moved you this week?
2: Well,
3: following in the footsteps of a potential old client of mine, I got a gun and invaded your home, and I turned uh, you on to the Investigation Discovery, and I made you watch. Um, well, there's no
1: need for that. <laughs> <No>. Yeah, <laughs> uh,
3: I made you watch a little show called A Crime to Remember, which is mm-hmm. one of, by far, one of my favorite, properties if not my favorite property on investigation discovery and there are a lot of shows i like on there
1: yeah <laughs> um, there have been a lot of
3: like downtimes in my life because of illness where i couldn't do much and investigation discovery was all i did so mm-hmm. um just you know that's saying a lot that this is one of my favorites
1: essentially I completely agree i'd like I, sorry I, but like yeah. when you said a crime to remember i was like that it, it in my favorites, I of I ID Discovery or Paramount Plus, I have three, I have all of three three shows that I'm like, I need as quick access to these as possible. Like you yes. know what I'm saying? They're my favorite. <laughs> Everything else, I'll just kind of like scroll through it on a day and be like, oh, I don't feel like this today. But it's like three that I'm like, no, nope, I I feel like a, a Crime to Remember is is what I want to watch today. And this is one I, I love this show.
3: Yeah. It's mm-hmm. such a great show. Uh, essentially, the reason that that hooked me, even from just the commercials before the show ever aired, I, I watched it from the outset, the first mm. episode uh when it aired. And the reason for me is because I said, OK, th- they're going to combine a costume drama with a period <laughs> piece with true crime. I'm in. <laughs> and that's pretty much what this show is. It takes uh a majority of the crimes. If not all of them, well, none of them are uh, are contemporary um, right. to you know our times. So uh, they are all shows uh, that are uh, they're all crimes from the the forties, forties, fifties, sixties, seventies, and mm-hmm. the show is always from the perspective and narrated from the perspective of a character that's created for the show. So it's someone who is uh, supposed to be placed. Into the center of the narrative, they can speak with firsthand knowledge of what it was like to be there in the midst of the fallout of all of the events that are occurring. Right. Uh, but it's never told from the eyes of a real person, for example. It's just mm-hmm. some, it's a, it's a character device, uh, that they make, that the producers make up for this. So for example, the story that we're going to talk about today is told from the perspective of a woman who was a child at the time, uh, at which the event uh went on um and she was a a singer a, like a 9-year-old singer at the black church in live oak florida so yes. you know it's that for example and so it's kind of a retrospective look on you know here is a crazy cr- true crime thing that happened that i happened to be around for and mm-hmm. here are the real details so it's very much for me in terms of like why i picked the show um, first of all, it's one of my favorites. Second of all, there are a lot of cases that are highlighted that I just didn't know about beforehand. Yeah. Um, I'm one of those people who loves true crime so much. I feel like I'm watching a rerun even when oh, that, I'm watching something yes. new.
1: Exactly. Exactly. It always feels like it's, you've seen this case and you've seen it a million different times. So when a show comes along that, even if it's a case you have seen, but it, it, it mm. shows you a case that you have seen, but from a different perspective, it's always like a rare gem. It to, is to find, yeah. yeah. So I just want to ask Sarah: Sarah, have you had you watched uh, this this property before? Um, no, no. And, and I'm it? very,
2: yeah, no, I'm very grateful for for the gift of a uh, crime to remember. <laughs> it somehow uh, slipped past my radar, I have to say. And certainly, Mary, you and I watched something with reenactments in it recently that. The the reenactment actors were uh, not so good. Um, (laughs) So I I approached this somewhat cautiously, um, and it—I can't recommend it highly enough. Oh, I'm—I'm previewing my my magnifying glasses (laughs) later in the show, but I thought that the. The way it was laid out, and I think that familiarity that you're talking about is the rhythms of true crime and the rhythms of true crime property are similar. We, we learn about the crime and then there's the investigation and then a twist if there is one, and then either a, 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 an ending, a res- resolution or no resolution, which leaves you up in the air. Yeah. Um, here the crime was not one uh, that I knew, um, but it seemed so... Rooted in the time, not that it couldn't happen now, but it seemed so rooted in the time, and it was so beautifully restrained. The writing uh, mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. acting had a restraint to it. Uh, the music it was quite agitated, but the, <laughs> yeah, 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 the 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 not calmness, but. It yeah. is a sense of the calm. Plain, the plainness of it, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So then you get little moments. I know we'll get to it, but there was there were two moments that stand out, particularly for me. Uh, one was just a, a, a look at, at a door and another one was a scene over a plate of chicken. And mm-hmm. both of them mm-hmm. coming out of that plain calmness really hit home. Um, in, in as much as we can put ourselves in any of the shoes of any of the people, it that this is your best chance at doing. Yeah, stuff. Yeah. yeah. I do yeah. feel
3: a sense of calm though when I'm watching this show. I, this show for me feels like slipping into something nice and comfortable and getting warm under the covers and then letting my grandmother tell me a story. The, mm. It's it's something yes. to do with the color saturation. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. that ha- that really enhances it. It looks really like you're soft. watching an old movie. Yeah, everything's yes. soft and like light. It's lit very differently. It, there's no harsh lighting um, mm-hmm. going on, and, and that's true not just of this episode, but of all the episodes. Mm-hmm. It's just the way that they shoot it is different than any other true crime I've ever seen. You, it feels like you're watching some kind of film noir
2: yes um, very perfect. much so yeah, and the, yeah. the thing the thing that struck me as well and i'm i'm really eager to see now many many more uh in a series was i mean there are certain actors who have very contemporary faces and when mm. you put them in a period uh piece it just doesn't work i won't name names but uh, it, it happens it's not their fault um the casting here were was extremely good, the figures, not just the clothes they were wearing, but the inhabitation of the figures um, was really well done. They were wearing clothes, not costumes they, mm. and at the end when when the two man characters' photographs come up i mean there's first of all, I thought, oh, there's an extraordinary likeness, and then I thought it wasn 't so much the likeness, it was the inhabitation that the mm. actors all of them had in the time and the period and yeah. i wondered about the sort of the behind the scenes of how careful and respectful and holding space there was for all of the performers the black and the white mm-hmm. um uh, to go into that period of uh segregation and to inhabit those attitudes of the time um I I hope that they were well looked after. I imagine so because the whole whole production seems so thoughtful and, yeah. And And these
1: are all really, like, glowing reviews because reenactments, like, for me, especially when it comes to true crime, reenactments can make or break how I enjoy a show. Um, Voiceovers can dictate how I enjoy a show, like... I, I'm a huge Snap fan. I there's a lot of people like I I who like True Crime that I can't imagine don't like Snap. Right. But when they changed the 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 narrator's voice, the woman's narrating, um, a, a few years ago, it felt different to me, and I mm-hmm. haven't been as like I I used to be able to every Sunday Snap it'd be on <laughs> all day. Yes. I have that on while I'm yes. cleaning or something like that. I stopped
3: but, watching when they changed the woman.
1: Exactly. It just is. It's weird. You get so used to hearing and and it's setting an ambiance. And I know I'm getting snapped because I, I'm hearing this lady's voice. And then the minute they change to that other lady, it's nothing unpleasant about her voice. You know what no. I'm saying? Like it's a perfectly fine voice, but it just doesn't mm-hmm. resonate it with me as mm-hmm. as like however many years that I've been watching snapped and, and I, uh, this other lady's voice is the iconic voice. So yeah, it's just, it's just it just, it, this really all goes to tell, to show you that the setting, the reenactment, the approach, especially mm-hmm. to these type of um, series, like these ID series and how they approach individual crimes, how it can um, either pull, pull the watcher in or alienate the watcher.
2: So what did you yeah. think of the selection of the talking heads the the experts that oh, that come in
1: Yes these experts so yeah i i wanted to get a list of the experts because these actually um they rotate um mm-hmm. not all of the experts on this one would be found on another episode uh it actually made me really want to know how they they um chose the experts to be quite honest um
2: one of the mirage one book is about yes yeah, sorry go ahead yeah James. i was just I was gonna say the exact thing <laughs> one,
3: uh, one woman wrote a book about uh I, I can't remember the name of the book but yeah she wrote uh, a book about the entire ruby silencing
1: silencing ruby or something like that yeah, yeah silencing, like silencing, silencing ruby, ruby mccullum mm-hmm. yeah and mm-hmm. uh
3: and then they had a professor as well, who was there? Yeah. Um, uh huh. Who knew the area well and t- could discuss it. And then I'm not sure what the older black gentleman's,
1: uh, he uh, was a, see. he was like a city, like a, uh, not an alderman, but he was kind of like a, um, he's from the city itself. Okay. And yeah. And he, he was like a community leader in the city. Okay.
2: That makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then it yeah. was a cl- clinical psychologist. Dude, that's uh, yeah right. that clinical to uh,
1: say. Yeah. psychologist mm-hmm. i was like oh, mm-hmm. okay yeah. i'm looking <laughs> at you sideways a little yeah. bit so the yep. talking heads can
3: be hit or miss that's another thing yes. for me that mm-hmm. really makes or breaks a true crime show so true, yeah. this is one you're right mari where they do alternate they change for each episode mm-hmm. who it is that they bring in to talk about things yeah, uh, because they want to bring in people with as much topic knowledge as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I, they're, sometimes they're, they can be hit or miss and they really can bring you right out of it. I mm-hmm. feel like they don't do a bad job in this one. Um, mm-hmm. they, they lend some more color to the story. They lend a little bit of more factual basis to the story. Yes. And, uh, you know, in the case of the older black man, he just really gives you uh, like a very just like straight, <laughs> as my grandmother would say, Unfiltered, downright yeah. straightforward and upfront uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, discussion of like, you know, this was segregated Florida, like the deep south. This is yeah. uh, where, you know, slavery was king until it, you know, and cotton was king for mm-hmm. a very long period of time. And now there are tobacco farms, and you know my family grew up sharecropping, and they can tell you, or you mine know, mine did too. Yeah, it's not all that much removed from slavery. You know, people are still living on the land of the more wealthy family that owns that land, and they're living in shacks in the yep. in the back, um, yep. being paid not nearly as much as they should be paid uh, because every every time they would, uh, my family would take cotton. Over to uh, the like mill to get their money, they were already always told that the sacks were light. They were always told that they didn't make weight, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So those two, you know, th- and, and things have not changed that much. I don't know how much time either of you have spent in the deep South, but having to visit family <laughs> there is the bane of my existence.
1: Yeah. I, I yeah.
3: Uh, going to Mississippi is one of the, if you want to know what I'm like when I'm having a bad time, then let's
1: go
2: on a
3: trip to Mississippi.
1: It's just terrible. That'll get it it all out there, put it all out there on the table.
3: Everybody still expects, white people still expect the yes ma'am, no ma'am from black people. And when they don't get it, they look Mm -hmm. at you like there's something wrong with you. They ask you what you're doing there, girl. You know, it's Mm -hmm. it's still very similar. So that man was like, you stayed out of white folks' business. Like, <laughs> yep. You just tried your best, and you know, it was segregated, and black people st- stuck to their business, and white people stuck to their business, and no one really crossed streams. Yes. And it was for a purpose. I mean, and they have...
1: Sorry. I'm sorry, keep going. No, no, I don't mean to cut you off.
3: No, I was just going to say really quickly, It was it's for a purpose that we'll get into later as we discuss the episode, but mm-hmm. it's literally life or death
1: exactly and that's what and that's where i i wanted to say that this is a perfect place to start so let's get into the episode itself so the episode even starts off like this is one of the most famous crimes you've never heard of mm-hmm. like truly um uh one of those crimes that like kind of changed the fabric of of some of the laws it, it, um down there and it i didn't i didn't ever know about it until i watched this episode a few years ago so um it starts off it we're in nineteen fifty-two, Live Oak, Florida, and we get a segment here about segregation, about Jim Crow laws, which Latanya just so expertly had um just uh talked about. And it of course, this is a time where it's separate, but, but equal. And everybody knows that, you know, they say separate, but equal, but it was not equal, you know, back then. And the big setup is uh, Dr. Leroy Adams. He's found dead in his office with gunshot wounds. Uh, initially, they just thought it was to his back, but um, we learned that he's first shot in the front, in the chest, then um, twice or three times in the back, but he's also holding a $100 bill in his hand. And he was a prominent member of the co- community. Like, he was one of those doctors who actually, um, who actually treated both, you know, at the time it was called colored, uh, people and white people in deeply segregated South. So he actually, uh, helped both. And he was also known as the shot doctor because he apparently introduced penicillin to that community. Like, he mm-hmm. was one of the, the doctors who, who brought penicillin and like one of the first, uh, people to treat I mean uh, illnesses that we take for granted today that are easily curable by penicillin at that time before penicillin showed up like kids could die from just stubbing their toe and, and getting the cut infected you know what I'm saying yeah. but the moment this man brings a penicillin he can now heal you with a miracle shot It, it it's like life changing and life altering to the community around it and it it imbues him with a sense of um, empowerment. Um, Sarah, what did you think about this opening here?
2: Well, I think the opening is great in that it really situates you immediately in the time Mm -hmm. and in the, you know, in case you need to be reminded and the fact that it was 1952. So uh, almost in my lifetime that this kind of, uh, separation, segregation, and that a white doctor who treated both black people and white people was of note. Uh, they had separate entrances and separate waiting rooms and separate treating rooms uh, or treatment rooms. Um, but, yes, I liked the, this is the plainness I'm talking about, the economy of this narration and uh, the idea that the person telling us has personal knowledge and experience of this time i think just immediately draws you in situates you you don't think where am i what's going on you're right in there yeah can i
3: also add that uh i loved the fact that they showed the comparison and and were able to contrast the difference between the black community and the white community through you know everyone goes to church on sunday but it's two different churches. And at the black church, they're singing Wade in the Water, which is for anybody who went, has ever gone to church, gone to a black church, knows that's a famous song. It's an old Negro spiritual um, mm-hmm. about, you know, uh, baptism and a song that I used to hear every Sunday at church. Yeah. Uh, whereas at the white church, they're singing Amazing Grace. Mm-hmm. Now I would hear Amazing Grace at church too, but not every not Sunday, that <laughs> and not that version of the song, uh, by any means. And Amazing Grace is also one of those songs, um, you know, at least for when I was growing up in my church, that was saved for one of two occasions, someone who was visiting church, uh, really needed to bring the house down and it was going to be a concert or someone died. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh. <laughs> wow. like <it's> <laughs> two things.
3: So, but yeah, just like contra- comparing like using those two songs, really mm-hmm. important and also to point out just the, you know, the importance of water in these communities, um mm-hmm. especially given all of the the ways in which bodies were disposed in those bodies of water.
1: Yeah and and yeah exactly and that's something we will definitely be getting into and i agree i did i love how they they put us right they 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 tell it to you right then and right there up front the differences of the time period uh the ways in which the the two separate communities try to remain separate um and just like we said it just pulls you right in to where you're like you're hooked and then you come to the true crime so um, they said that there were three witnesses. They was, these are all Black women. And the witnesses told the police that they saw another woman enter, enter the doctor's office. Uh, she had a argument with the doctor. And um, she shot him. Um, apparently, they said that she was trying to pay a bill. Um, which is why he had that $100 bill in his hand. Um, another witness, this was a white man who was like sitting in a car. Um, outside he saw two children in the suspect's car and he uh, reported seeing the the black woman who who shot the doctor he the same uh, she had on the same clothes and all of that he told the police about how she had kids in the back of the car and what she was wearing and through his testimony be, <laughs> they were able to figure out it was ruby mccullum uh, and the reason why I say through his testimony is because when they asked the three ba- black women mm-hmm. who they who were, they were like, oh, we don't know who it yeah. is. Who, who could it be? Who could it be? And it was and, a small
3: uh, town, too.
2: So, yes. you know, lies.
3: Lies, <laughs> lies, lies. Yes. to protect the people in the community.
2: <laughs> they, yes. they knew the color of her purse, so her handbag they could uh, recognize. But no, I've never seen that woman. Never yeah, seen that I've lady. Never seen her before.
1: However, <laughs> Ruby is the richest black woman in Live Oak. When they actually searched her her house, she had eighteen hundred dollars in her purse, and this was at a time where the annual salary in that area was two thousand dollars so like this this lady is well known in this community um and this is kind of where we're off to the races because during their search in this um in this reenactment here she uh, shows them the gun, and she says, "I don't know whether I did right or whether I did wrong." And the police uh, take that as an admission of guilt, and they, um, you know, promptly arrest her. Uh, so, I mean, this is so funny. In, in especially like rewatching this, um, this is a true crime uh, series where it's like we're what five, ten minutes into the episode, mm-hmm. the murder has happened they've caught the suspect. So at this point, if you haven't seen the episode, you're kind of like, well, where else are we going here? <laughs> and the rest that unfolds is just amazing. But before we get to that, any, any, um anything stand out about just uh, the crime, how the crime is presented in itself and like the quick arrest, anything? Yeah. What's- just
3: for me, the idea that the police officers were, like just made a beeline to this woman's house uh-huh. and they are like that there could only be one person um you know they come in and they're just they just get to look around wherever <laughs> right. they want yeah. Um including in someone's purse which uh-huh. uh you know there's there's still I, you know there it, there's a lot going on there Um, and I, 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 you know, I was about to make a comment about like, you know, going into someone's personal belongings and whether or not that's part of a search, but there's no warrant involved here. There's no, uh, rights really that have been afforded to any, to this woman or any of the other black people that would be involved in this story. And so your traditional sense of, that's another thing about a crime to remember is you start to have the wheels turning a little bit if you're a true crime fan about all of the different things that are, you know, that were put in place in order to stop these types of like, you know, violations maybe from the police from happening. But you have yeah. to remember, you know, this was a way different time. We see what the police do and get away with now. So imagine the ability with which they were able to act with impunity here. Um, they did mention. Um, here, the the boy who sent a Christmas card. Um, uh, yes, mm-hmm. yeah. Is that something you're going to talk about later? Yeah, or, yeah, oh, yeah Okay, it, never it. mind. But feel
1: free to feel free to lead into it. They do oh, yeah. they do have an aside here. Yeah, yeah. They
3: have an aside there. I did a little more research. This uh, mm-hmm. little boy was 15 years old. His name was Willie James Howard, mm-hmm. and he was lynched for sending a Christmas card to a white girl. And the girl was the daughter of a state legislature. Um, And the state legislature actually was the person who came for the boy personally and may have been the one to kill him. And as they said in the program, that that all happened in front of this boy's father. Wow. So, yeah, just like her giving herself up and show and producing the weapon for them, because other than that, they probably would have had nothing. They weren't. They didn't seem to be finding much of anything. And they couldn't even point out that she was still wearing the same dress that she was wearing, you know, was supposed to be wearing during the crime. So the idea that she would give herself up, knowing it, that in many cases, the people on the police force were part of the KKK mm-hmm. um, and that, you know, this person that she is almost confessing to the murder of was incredibly well connected. And we can talk about that a lot more later as well. Um, just, you know, is a little bit baffling. You had to think that her conscience had to really be weighing on her there.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, a couple of things that struck me. They, the program shows us without comment a, a bare hand just pulling the $100 note out of a bare policeman's hand, uh, pulling the $100 note out of the d- dead doctor's hand. We see a shoe casually stepping in blood and no comment is made, but I really liked that it was such a quick visual cue to us watching the uh disregard for what we i mean even if you're not law enforcement you know don't step in the blood don't touch things don't don't change things they go to her house as you say she's not wearing the same dress they just open her purse and find her money um i was puzzled by her giving up the gun when we get the story of the of the lynched boy there's also a voiceover of the care that the police knew they would have to take with her Mm -hmm. lest the uh press in the north Mm -hmm. uh, turn their eye on onto this community and what might be found and so i wondered if her motivation was guilt uh helplessness um protection of her children perhaps yeah or i mean she's a smart smart woman she might have uh Figured that she had enough, as we'll find out, enough on uh, upstanding members of the community to protect her. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Speaking yeah. of the
3: of the media, real quick, this was a a, a fun aside that I read. Um, the the headline the next day in the local newspaper was Doctor Adams slain by negress, which
1: just of course. yeah. I mean yeah i so the the talking head says they had to take they had to take good care of her first off because of the the journalism like they didn't want any any of the north nor- northern journalists or anybody poking their nose into that deep south soil i think that's what one of the the definitely the um experts or whatever said uh but also it, we get into her backstory too you know what i'm saying and how how that she becomes you know rich but before that i think you have to be also thinking they bring up the willie howard lynching because if they just put her in a regular jail that's what they said it's just it's over it's you know it's it's over it's more than likely she will end up dead the moment she she hits that cell um so i i i appreciate that they did not That they didn't um They took care of her, but like even the little girl that the the narrator who is uh, made up said it was not out of the goodness of their heart. It was purely self-preservation. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because Ruby's backstory she grew up, she was like very smart from a a regular, I think it was like a, a almost, I guess what you would call a middle class uh, family in a sense. Um, I didn't get get a sense that they were like poor or, or, or they had um, during the tobacco trade. I think something like that. Yeah. But anyway, she married Sam McCullum, who had the, he had the largest allotment of tobacco in the county, so he was rich and well off. But more importantly, he was. Um, they they both matched each other on being um, uh. What's the word uh, starts with the A? Uh, they both were ambitious. Were ambitious. Thank you, because <laughs> I'm just losing it right now. Okay. They both they both were very very ambitious, and they seemed to want to grow their business together. But that's not where their real money came from. Like this was definitely uh, one of those things where if you know, you know. So Sam was in the Bolita business, or uh, most commonly called the numbers game. Uh, this is like a historically black, like this is, um, this is, can be often found in black communities. It's it's essentially the black lottery. What you do is you go to somebody's house or, or whoever's setting up the numbers game, you put money down on a certain number to come out or a certain series of, of numbers to come out, like be drawn randomly out of a bag. It literally is, like like the black lottery and it is one of those pillars of early black culture that was something that was so inherent in this time period um that at, like the moment they brought it up I was like wow <laughs> like this is <laughs> this is this happens yeah um and ruby was just so good at um uh, bookkeeping she was really smart really astute so she kept the books and because of that they am- they amassed that they they ran their small business together, but they amassed a small fortune. Um, but of course, they are black people, rich black people in a county of segregation where at any moment there it could be ripped away from them. You know, at, at this point, like black people's rights were at the whim of white people. So they had to pay law enforcement to look the other way. There's no other recourse. Um, because they had to give them a slice. If not, it could be taken away from them at any moment. Uh, Latanya, what did you think about seeing the numbers show up?
3: Yeah, I was very surprised the first time I saw this episode that that's mm-hmm. where that was going. Uh, mm-hmm. Because I, oh, well, first of all, I was happy to hear Jook Joints be yeah. said on television. Because that's something I've only ever heard my family talk about. Um, but uh, I thought that when they were going to say that they made their money, that they made it from that or from uh, the farming, the tobacco farming that mm-hmm. uh, that Sam McCullum was doing. But when Belita showed up, I was like, "What? Mm-hmm. oh, my God, um, this is just a game that, you know, was so big in the South that even the mafia started to get a piece yes. of it. Mm-hmm. Um, And it did not surprise me whatsoever that the cops were in on it because it was something that was illegal. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you have to pay off the police uh, and and bribe them in order to get away with things like that. So, you know, just being, you know, I I was struck by the complexity of the economic system in the South at that time. At a time. So, at, at one point, you've got tobacco farming propping things up, but uh, propping up the economy. But you also have the bolito business that's doing that. And you have the police who are in on it who mm-hmm. have to help, like, uh, who are happy to see this crime being committed because it means that they get a piece. And mm-hmm. round and round it goes like, that's <laughs> all capitalism. But I was really, really really shocked when uh, I found out that they were involved in this. But then felt proud for Ruby because she always wanted to accomplish something. She had big dreams, Mm -hmm. and it seemed like Sam saw her for the person that she was and the person that they could and and she could help them be together. And she really had to have been smart and have a head on her shoulders in order to carry off this very taxing operation behind mm-hmm. the scenes
2: yeah she has a ledger uh, we hear of every bribe and who it went mm-hmm. to uh so this is where she's a very dangerous woman woman to yeah. to the white people because she mm-hmm. has she literally has their number
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah good
2: point that's <laughs> and, a good one
1: and because of this, um, Sam is notified in the in the episode, we get it like Sam is in church and he's notified that his wife was killed for killing the doctor. And we get like a scene of him like running out, packing everything up, throwing money into suitcases, getting all three of his his children and fleeing to uh, Zuber, Florida, where he had a uh, family. But mysteriously, he was he's supposed to meet with the police the next day. But uh, mysteriously, he died of a heart attack. Yeah. uh so a lot of the talking heads are kind of like do we believe he died of a heart attack he died of natural causes we don't even know where he was when we died of the, the heart attack yeah. they didn't really say they didn't reenact it or anything like that they just said he was supposed to meet with law enforcement the next day but he died of a heart attack and then they also said it, it is true that he had a bad heart but a lot of people were like i don't believe it and, right. I mean, yeah, yeah. It, it's very, it feels very, uh, seems
2: dubious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I just simply don't believe it. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you so know, it's, he, my, it's just my opinion. He could
3: have, <laughs> he could have definitely, you know, not only been dangerous to all of the people there who had to, who were getting bribes, but he could have helped to corroborate some of what. Honestly, could have been an open secret, at least in the white community, Mm -hmm. in terms of what was going on with the good doctor and Ruby. Mm -hmm. Um, And that would have made it all the more dangerous for, you know, not only the case that they are trying to mount against her, but for keeping this out of the northern press, which is what they all want so badly.
2: Yeah. We hear it's a place of whispers, a place where yes. there are things that are known and then there are things that are spoken of. They're two very exactly. different things. But here, here we do find out that, that this is how the doctor became involved in their lives is mm-hmm. he offered himself as the go-between uh, between uh, Sam and Ruby and the white people in power, mm-hmm. and that was his role, as we first hear, his role in their, in their uh, business.
1: Mm hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and this is the scene here, Sarah, where he's like eating fried chicken at their table. And it is just for again, for a reenactment, it's very menacing. Yes. The acting here was really good. Like he he tearing the chicken up. The two Ruby and Sam just look very tense. That chicken did
3: look good though. It did look, it good, did yeah. look really
1: good. <laughs> <laughs> and he he was talking about you know I can help you guys. I could you know and in the words it was great acting. Shout out to that actor. But like in the words it's like he he's saying like I can help you guys. We can grow the business together. But. Undertone wise, it's basically you don't have a choice, you know what I'm saying? There's, right. there's no choice in this. This is not me offering you my services, this is me telling you I'm taking a piece,
2: really. Exactly,
1: very mm-hmm. mob, mob mentality. Uh, here, um,
2: beautifully and- done. They're sitting there, they don't eat, they don't speak, they have chicken on their plates, but they yep. don't eat. Mm-hmm. And he is elbows on the table. I mean, we see this. This actor is fantastic, <laughs> yeah. He the, is. the a a disgustingly visceral way. He's eating with no manners, throwing aside the pieces of chicken, sucking on the bones. I mean, it's a bravura performance and it gives you everything that you need to know because we've heard he's a sainted doctor. He brought penicillin. He treated the black people and the white people. Mm -hmm. He's running for Congress. He's going to be Mm -hmm. this uh, uh, wonderful uh, pillar of the community. And we see him in this uh, lustful... uh, uh, greedy, uh, disgusting display. And it's it's a it's a fantastic performance. And it really just yeah. gave yeah. you everything you needed to know about the relationship.
1: Basically like he owned the place. Like he yeah. elbows on the table like he owned the place. Yeah.
3: It, you mm-hmm. know, it and in effect that's what would go on to happen really. And yeah. and that just shows you how pernicious this all is just mm-hmm. like the idea that a a white man can own all that he surveils. If he mm-hmm. wants something, then he can make it his, and it doesn't. And and you don't have any rights. It's just everything about the Deep South at that time, or the world at that time, if we're being honest, mm-hmm. and a lot of our times mm-hmm. now. Yes. In a nutshell, it it was it, it was just a really well done scene and. And the other thing I like about this show, because sometimes the reenactment, reenactments can take me out of the, the act, the overall story. These mm-hmm. don't, and they're staged so simply. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, they, they have immense weight to them
1: yeah and and they break it up. they do a great job of kind of breaking it up like with the voiceovers like like they can do be doing a reenactment where there 's no sound because the voiceover is telling you what 's going on. Mm-hmm. they can do a reenactment where the characters are speaking, and then they can break it up with the interviews with the the experts and the talking heads like they do a really good job of just make it it doesn 't make you feel like you 're looking at a a long form draw over dramatized um show it it feels like it's segmented it it feels like everything has its place and that it's there to evoke an, an emotion But this is how he funds his campaign. This is, uh, at the time of his death, he's a state senator-elect. So yeah. he had no money. He had an a old Southern name, a family lineage, but no money. And so he basically elbows his way um, into their racket in order to fund his campaign. And this is where we find out that Ruby has a miscarriage in jail. And this is kind of where it all breaks loose here because... Um, she tells her lawyer uh relliford uh that the uh the baby that she is miscarrying at this time is the doctors um and uh not only that but her youngest child uh her youngest daughter was the doctors as well so Rutherford uh, McGriff rightfully is like okay um we need to get a white lawyer for this yeah it'll be well like more well received and so he brings in that lawyer and then so uh we get the story of how basically how how Ruby is just essentially caught between a rock and a hard place we hear about how her husband Sam ends up having an affair with a teacher and um, he had uh, basically become abusive to her. The The man that she thought she married, she thought she married somebody who wanted her as a partner and, you know, saw her as an equal. But we get a scene of him basically berating her in front of his friends and, and then abusing her. Um, and then after that, we get another very heavily weighted scene where. Um, all of the experts weigh in, and we get a reenactment where Dr. Adams comes to Ruby's house one day. Uh, I don't know if it was to collect money or w- why he was there, but uh, Ruby answers the door and she tells him uh, Sam isn't in. And this is the moment where the the reenactment the reenactment actors are not talking; they are just staring at each other over a door. You, it's it's so kind of hard to explain because the acting is really good here. Maybe I'll, I'll pass it over to Sarah because to, you're really good at explaining it. But we get this scene and then we get several of the experts weighing in on, was this an affair or was he forcing himself onto Ruby? Right. So Sarah, can you just set the scene for us
2: here? It's It's such a, I mean, this was, this was like, for me, just a masterclass in uh, what you can do uh, wordlessly. She answers the door. She stands in the door. She doesn't ask him in. That's fine. Mm-hmm. She says, Sam isn't here. And he just looks at her. And mm-hmm. we see on her face as women, we see, and men, men can see it as well, but it obviously hits us uh, right where we live. We see her realising why he's there. He doesn't say anything, he doesn't make a move, he just looks at her and the camera is on her face and the transparency of the moment that she figures it out and the understanding of her powerlessness. And this is an ambitious, smart, rich woman uh, understanding in that moment uh, that she has no agency and it's just a little dropping of the shoulders and a glance to the ground, and we, we all feel it, um, and we know what's going to happen. I mean, the use of the word affair, I mean, it, it drives me mad when people talk about teachers having affairs with underage students. These Great. are not affairs. Exactly. Uh, we've got to stop saying affairs in, in, in all these cases. I mean, here we can't say this is the decision of the reenactment actors and the writers that, that she wasn't willing. But we do hear that he would give her, you know, one shot makes you sleepy and one shot wakes you up. Uh, the idea is that it's heroin and cocaine that he's providing. Uh, this adds to the non-consensual, our idea of, uh, you know, our, our knowledge of consent makes this totally non-consensual. Uh, you can't consent. If you are impaired in any way by alcohol or drugs, PSA, right. everybody, not possible. Period. So, although this brings a modern idea of consent um, into the story, I mean, consent was always there or not there. It's like, it's yeah. not. We haven't, yeah. we haven't made it up. Yeah. This yeah. was a, a, a man in power and a exactly. woman, no matter, it's basically no matter how powerful and safe you feel in your ambition and your money and your status as a married woman which mm-hmm. at the time generally is supposed to protect you from the mm-hmm. advances of other men just the mm-hmm. fact of having having a ring and there's many a woman that i know in my life who's worn a ring mm-hmm. uh, that that didn't you know that that came from their own drawer just mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. avoid the advances of men but here we see that she that that none of that that none of that is going to protect her from mm-hmm. this this visceral greedy Lustful, entitled man.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm. With Kanye, yeah.
2: It's just,
3: it's it's very weighty that scene. Yeah, where he uh, is at the house and just the mere callousness of saying, you know, in talking about the injections that he gives her, you need that sometimes. Yeah, Uh, you know just what this woman's body has had to endure and the idea that she has no agency. Mm-hmm. She went from being a young woman to being with who she thought was her soulmate and the person that would love and respect her. And that turned out to be a bust. He turned out to just be a bum mm-hmm. like a lot of the rest of them.
1: Mm-hmm. and then
3: getting mixed up with him in in his business and her business that she helped to run this man just comes out of nowhere and decides I want that and I want you and there's nothing that you can do about it yeah and it's just horrifying it's everyone's cool. worst nightmare to have something like that happen and the way that this actress is just so resolved to it Mm -hmm. that you get the idea that this has happened so many times Mm -hmm. to her that Mm -hmm. she just feels like there's no way out
1: yeah i i also think they did a really great job of like that's all that's all we truly see in a sense, as we see that that door scene, then her pensively, you know, him stepping side her to co- step, stepping up beside her to come in to the house. And then, you know, and then that's it. Like, we don't see they kind of leave it um, ambiguous. And I, I, I the experts, all of the experts, except for one. I had to rewind it because I was like, I know I did not just hear that. <laughs> but one of the experts, I think I know what you're going to say. Yeah, the clinical psychologist, last name was Ellis, implies that it was unfair. She said she said something to the effect of that Ruby was a powerful woman. Ruby knew knew what she wants. I could see that she would she would want to um Be with the highest ranking person and that she would deserve that. And I was like, I truly had to stop and rewind and see uh. who said that. They didn't even show, they did not show that lady's face when she said it. And they didn't, they didn't show her face till way later on. And I had to catch the name later on. I'm like i i don't know if that was just that they were like we have to have both sides or something like that because no, you don't
3: have to have both you don't we don't no There's not in a rape no exactly. sides there, but there's of, one side
1: yeah. <laughs> all of the other experts including um the the black woman there who was like the um uh, Latanya, you had correctly uh she was a professor professor yeah um her and then the lady who wrote the book Silence in Ruby who was a white woman mm-hmm. um, they all said uh, this is a power dynamic sort of situation like how can you consent when you know they don't even ask you know what I'm saying when, when, when it, uh, this person has feel like they're entitled to you um, and, and there's a, yeah. a really good quote at the end that wraps it up that um, I'll say but like it truly was really sad yeah. to to see. And um, how do you consent
3: when you can't even fathom the question,
1: you yeah. know, mm-hmm.
3: like, how is that possible?
1: Right. And, and I, I did, I didn't like, I didn't like that, I, you know, and we've in Sarah said, said it like there's a history of, of romanticizing, um, unconsensual like sex acts as affairs you know we grew up with the whole Thomas Jefferson, Sally um, Hemings. of it all yeah Hemmings of it all and it's just like when there are power dynamics this is especially what we've been talking about with the Me Too movement and stuff like that when there are power dynamics at play you know consent has to be like really needs to be um, reviewed you know so Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very rough. But yeah. uh, we we spoke about the cocaine and the heroin, and he also like if she, he would if she would not do what he wanted, he would uh, send her to menstru- mental mental yes.
3: That's yeah. the other thing about this woman having no agency and yeah, her body not being her own. I mean, we see a little bit of that before we get to that part of the story with the miscarriage and just the fact that she's that scene is is blood curdling. She's crying out for help. I feel Mm -hmm. like so much of this woman's life is her crying out for help Mm -hmm. and just no one hears her. And Mm -hmm. when they do hear her, they ignore her because she's Black and she's a woman and she's nothing. Mm -hmm. And, And yeah, just the... Uh, I, go ahead, Mari. No, I'm it's so bad okay. yeah, no, like I...
1: very, very annoying. Uh because I mean he and that it's just it's almost, it's out of it's right out of like the sex sex slavery playbook. Like he got her hooked on drugs, mm-hmm. you know, um, so that she could not give consent. So that, you know, it it just it's just disgusting, you know, and then if she doesn't listen to him, he throws her into those mental institutions. And then when she got pregnant again with the baby that she miscarried in jail, um, she told Adams that she wanted to terminate the pregnancy. And he said, you're not going to terminate any." any child of mine, which is weird because at this point he was kind of trying to distance himself because he was, you know, he had just won his his Senate seat and all that, so that that doesn't even make any sense to me. Um, Position. It's about yeah. position yeah the child was Personally, the child everything. was his position as well mm-hmm. i yeah. own everything yeah. yeah exactly um and then once uh she confronted sam because this was wild too i was like this is a lot yeah. she got a bill from the doctor for dnc which is uh, a pregnant pregnancy termination and she's like i didn't terminate my pregnancy so yeah. she confronted sam about the affair with the teacher and uh he basically said uh well i know about you and the white man you got your white man and he said uh, he threatened her that if if she had the white man's baby then he would kill her so the doctor threatened her that if she terminates that baby he would kill her and then her husband threatened her that if she has the baby then he would kill her so she, in the in the program she said she was between a gun and a gun um and it, like it sucks like what is she supposed to do here and then on top of that dr adams wrote like a a a really messed up message at the bottom of the bill like sam keep your woman or what out of my office or something like that um so you know she found the bill she went to pay it and she she uh allegedly i don't know like (laughs) killed murdered him yeah um so we get to the court, uh, we, we get to the courthouse and um, the, the reason why we talked a lot about juries here is because her jury consisted of 12 white men, some of whom were patients of the doctor. So I mean, like, yeah. really, what what chance did she have? I here? also
3: read, sorry to n- interrupt you. No, no, no. Keep I, on, also, mm-hmm. um, so two things. The first is the trial uh, was covered by Zora Neale Hurston
1: Yes, it was.
3: Uh, Which is just beyond
1: cool.
3: Like a cool fact. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. And the second uh, that I just read and was, I had to go back and make sure that I was like, not that hallucinating. (laughs) The judge was a pallbearer at Dr. Adams funeral.
1: Oh my gosh. No, I didn't know that. They did not say that in the um, episode. There are yeah. there are a few yeah I do have a few notes here where the um uh where the episode did not elaborate on stuff like mm-hmm. that but I did not know that as well yeah he was I a
3: pallbearer at the funeral and he opposed a gag order on Ruby yes prohibiting he did, her from giving interviews and the mm-hmm. press was barred from the courtroom
1: yeah and um uh sh- she was uh like she would they would ask her a question and then the um the the prosecutor would say um, what what is i don't why am i doing this part latagne
3: <laughs> objection
0: <laughs> so
3: in the court yeah uh, ruby yeah. decided to take the stand mm-hmm. because you know essentially this was a case with actually pretty circumstantial evidence right. uh, you can say that what she said was a confession but it was so cryptic that Mm -hmm. you know who knows Uh, a a jury of not these 12 people (laughs) room for doubt Um, so when she took the stand um, she was asked uh, several questions that would have brought into light the fact that she had been raped and assaulted Mm -hmm. for years and forced to bear a child and then threatened Mm -hmm. uh, with murder and or uh, uh imprisonment in a mental health facility if she didn't bear him another. Um, But the judge repeatedly shut down efforts by Frank Cannon, who was McCullum's lawyer, to ask for details about the violence. She Mm -hmm. was allowed to describe how about in 1948, during an extended absence from her husband, she had in her home submitted to the doctor. Um, She was allowed to state that her youngest child was his yet 38 times 38 Frank Cannon attempted to proceed from this point 38 times. He attempted to create an opportunity for Ruby to tell her whole story and explain what her motives were. And 38 times the state objected. So yeah. the prosecutor objected and 38 times the judge sustained those objections. Yeah. That was by from uh, uh, an excerpt from Zora Neilhurston's writings Oof. on the, on the uh, just fire writing. Um, um, mm-hmm on the trial. But yeah, Yeah. so essentially, any objection that is brought forth, um, typically you have to be able to object on certain grounds. You can't just say objection. That's one of the things (laughs) that the movies movies and the TV get wrong. You have to say something like objection relevance beyond the scope um, tends to be prejudicial. But Mm -hmm. the judge decided that anything that Ruby would have to say would automatically be prejudicial prejudicial against dr adams
1: yeah basically it seemed like they were trying to um keep his reputation like they exactly. were trying to protect his, his reputation
3: as opposed to uh, have a murder trial
1: yeah and this is what was called uh you know effectively silencing ruby on the stand like the um the show kind of made it seem like she couldn't testify to anything. Um thank you Latanya for uh, saying she, she they, so they let her testify that there was a relationship. Like it seems like they let her testify that there was a relationship. Like they wanted it to be presented as a relationship right. as opposed to rapings, beatings and druggings. Exactly. Yeah, um but uh in, anything Else on this before well let me let me let me get to the guilty verdict and i'll ask sarah uh, what she thought about this trial here um she was found guilty and sentenced to the electric chair in the um episode we had like the you know the the black uh, uh observers of the trial uh, audibly uh, gasp um and but before uh after she was found guilty she actually waited she uh 18 months she was in prison before she was actually granted another trial but before that second trial uh they sentenced her to life in a mental institution because they found that her um she was not fit to stand stand trial and in the show they made it seem like this might be um this again might be a way to silence her and make sure that nothing uh, like they didn't want the papers again to if she got actually got sentenced to death and it was carried out that would cause more attention to it than just basically shutting her away prescribing thoracic to her an electric shock therapy yeah. uh what did you think about this sarah
2: it's uh for all that we're saying it's beautifully made and well done it is yeah. a hard it's a hard watch exactly um, yeah. and if if so for me then then by a magnitude for for you i imagine mm. um i thought that the again very plain uh uh showing of the courtroom uh, the objections ruby standing silently I thought was incredibly effective. And I read a review on IMDB where one of the talking heads, a white man who had written also a book about this case, said something like, I worked really hard to find the transcripts and, and she did speak and and I thought, guy, it's it's more yeah. truthful to see her standing there not speaking.
0: Mm -hmm. is actually
2: more truthful than the fact that she did answer some questions Mm -hmm. because this whole idea of silencing and this whole idea of whisper, it's not just Ruby, it's the whole town who knows but doesn't speak, and then it becomes the whole state, the whole half of the country, the whole country and and onward to the world. I thought it was incredibly effective in such simplicity of having her stand calmly, uh, hands folded, silent, mm-hmm. tells us the truth of the matter more than right. the facts that she did in fact answer some questions. So I thought it was really well done. Um, I liked the idea, liked, uh, I thought it was well expressed, the idea of uh, sort of above her and around her are these discussions. Will she be electrocuted? Will we kill her? Will we sentence her to life in a mental institution? And that her Agency is not hers. Her body is not hers. Herself is not hers. It was the dehumanisation of this woman, and by extension, all the women, and all the black women, yes, all the black all the oh, yeah. women of colour, uh, and other women as well, suffered to a lesser extent. All the marginalised people that uh, that that um, that uh, structures of power can silence, can dampen, can remove. And in this, it seems a very contemporary story to me as well.
1: I have the closing words here that I thought were just really good in the show. Um, It says, so where does that leave us? What does it mean to be the richest Black woman in town in a time when Black people were barely citizens? Uh, What does it mean to have power when that power can be taken away? and uh taken away in the blink of a the eye and what does it mean to defend yourself in a court of law if when you when you aren't allowed to speak like um and it's just not about ruby Cull- uh cullum like uh sarah said it's about all black black women and and things that uh marginalized people have gone through so it was what that was a very poignant ending um to the episode But we do get a little, uh, you know, they uh, gave us a little bit of the typecast in the corner to let us know that uh, she was released from from the mental institution in 1974. Um, Her attorney um, was able to get her released under the Baker Act because she was not considered a danger to herself or others. Um, Her uh, her black attorney, uh, Rellford McGriff became part of a team who worked to change Florida's Jim Crow practice of selecting all white juries. So, um, he, at the time, black people were still uh, disenfranchised. And so they, uh, they weren't able to be jurors because they weren't allowed to vote. You know, it, it was limited to voters. So, uh, he went on to help change the laws and that's just, you know, really amazing. And, and this case has, you know, renewed attention has had renewed attention, um, in modern times, uh, because they said, uh, have you heard Latanya? I don't mean to put you on the spot. Have you heard the, the, what is called paramour rights? Um,
3: uh, just, uh, rights of, uh, people who have been in a relationship with each other for a certain amount of time.
1: Uh, yes, but they're saying like, um, yes, paramour rights, but also, in conjunction, when there's like uh, a power dynamic, like sexual sl- slavery oh, or forced marriage, stuff right. like that. Yeah, it make it makes. Yeah, uh, it's made people reconsider. Yeah, the uh, so
3: the law on that is like very much in its infancy, mm-hmm. and one of those ever changing kinds of things. It's still things that, uh, like, what, you know how there's testimony that uh, happens um, in order to get laws passed. It's mm-hmm. still one of those things where in different states, there um, are like notice and comment periods, essentially, for for testimony. Um, I haven't done a ton of research about it, but I have heard about it. And it, it just um, is a really huge step forward mm-hmm. for so many people who, especially people who have had to try to defend themselves, which if this case was happening in this day and age, um, it would probably have more national attention, but just because of the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, And therefore, something like that would come into play, just as a defense, at the very least, in terms of, here are all of the things that this person has had to endure mm-hmm. under the yoke of X, Y, and Z, or this person, and yeah. therefore, it should be mitigating circumstances, taking it into account to determine whether or not they are fully guilty or guilty at all of any crime that they may have committed in trying to remove themselves from the situation.
1: Exactly. And that's why they're saying it's been a very modern trope because it's been applied to like sex trafficking, mm-hmm. kind of like it uh, th- th- brings to mind the Centoya, Centoya Brown. Brown. Yeah. Um, so that's, it's, it's really is one of those cases that seem to have greatly affected that area, that area in that time period, but they kind mm-hmm. of did their job and they did silence her because, you know, we wouldn't have known of, of this case if it wasn't for this show, you yeah. know, so ugh, yeah, a heartbreaking, heartbreaking. So uh, let's get into. um, There are, if you are still a little um, interested in some more uh, documentaries about this, there are a few other properties. uh, Three documentaries The Other Side of Silence, um, The Curtain of Secrecy, and You Belong to Me Sex, Race, and Murder in the South all um, have references to the Ruby McCollum uh, murder. So if you want any um, additional information, you can check those out. Uh but you can find you can stream a crime to remember on Discovery Plus and Inve- InvestigationDiscovery.com. Um Sarah, by any chance, do you know where you can find
2: it in Australia? You want to- oh I it's not streaming that I could find. I paid a dollar ninety-nine on YouTube uh okay. to watch it and uh cheap at ten times the price. It's a, it's a it's a fantastic property. And while it's a very difficult sit, it is but I would say compulsory to watch it. That's what I'm going to say.
1: Mm, yes. Uh, you can yeah. also buy it here in America on Apple TV and Amazon prime. We can have to, we can include some links in the show notes if needed. Uh, Sarah on a scale of one uh, or sorry, zero to five magnifying glasses. Would you recommend uh crime to remember at also uh, this episode in particular?
2: Well, uh yeah, it should be one to five, but I think we we need to have it's a one, zero oh, just in case. <laughs> no, five. No, 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 no. <laughs> so, I mean, look, let's have a zero up our sleeve, but uh, I hope we don't <laughs> ever, ever have to uh yeah. torture our listeners with a with a zero magnifying. Glass right. Um, I'm going to say, look, I, I just thought this this couldn't be faulted. The um, clinical psychologist aside, that was just her, <laughs> her opinion, uh, I'm going to give this episode uh, five out of five magnifying glasses. I haven't seen anything else in A Crime to Remember, but if they are anything like this in quality, then, then uh, you know, definitely four because I'm sure there are some that fall slightly below this. But, yes, five mm-hmm. magnifying glasses for Shock Doctor from me. What about you, LaTonya?
3: Uh I would give it a five as well, just really because uh there are so many of our stories that no one knows about, and they mm-hmm. fall by the wayside. And so whenever there's a spotlight shown on a story that has as many, like, just not just true crime, but there's the idea of. Segregation, there's the idea of dehumanization, there's Lynchings. lynching, there's using drugs on people, there's abuses of power. There are just so many different intersections of thought um, mm-hmm. that are available to explore when you um, it, learn more about this case. Mm-hmm. And I love the way that it was presented. I thought that the acting was one of the better, a crime to remember um, acting performances from the ensemble. So, I would give it a five out of five, but I'm biased because I chose the episode <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh same uh yeah a crime, i've watched all it's five seasons of a crime to remember- remember um uh and five out of five for the series, five out of five for this episode. Let us know if you would want us to um uh cover another a crime to remember episode uh just letting the listeners uh that out but this was this was great i'm i'm so glad we got to uh talk about specifically this case specifically uh my favorite Latanya favorite and now sarah's mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> whatever it's uh, uh, all around yeah, covers yeah uh shows and um just before we uh get into our promos uh any recommendations about similar properties or uh anything else you would recommend Latanya?
3: Um, let's see. So I definitely recommend checking out all of a crime to remember. There are some really standout episodes in that show. Yes. Um, that uh, I just, I'm going to go back and rewatch because it's been a while yeah. since I've seen, um, a lot of them. But one of them that people might find interesting is that, um, if you all heard of the by- bystander effect, yes. there is an entire episode, uh, based upon the case that made that that coined that term in sociology mm-hmm. um so uh that's something um there is uh an episode there about the clock tower shooting that happened yes. um mm-hmm. in uh at texas texas mm-hmm. uh so texas Tech, that, think, like was it te- i thought it was the I university can't remember which
1: i that, truly cannot remember you're probably yeah. right university of texas yeah um, it is mm-hmm.
3: but yeah so mm-hmm. just all kinds of great cases like this there's like the pied piper case um, another one of my guilty faves that I watch all the time on Investigation Discovery is Deadly Women.
1: Yeah, um, yeah,
3: um, <laughs> right, Mari, talk more about this. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm a really big fan of that show, and that's one of the shows that has this woman named Candace, who's a very consistent talking head. Their talking heads are Candace DeLong,
1: consistent. Candace DeLong, right? Yeah, yes. she's amazing. Yeah, she's
3: fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. and her, she has some of the quippiest one liners <laughs> that you will ever find in true crime if you like, <laughs> yeah. if you like that kind of thing. Um, yeah. I recently just watched, um, a show on Netflix called Worst Roommate Ever. Um, yeah. which just came out as we're recording this. It came out yesterday. Um, and it was wild. I, the episodes went by very quickly. So it's a series, but a really a mini-series. I think there are only five or six episodes. Yes, the first episode mm-hmm. in particular
1: just uh, Daisy Fuentes.
3: Yes. Uh, yeah. Dorothea mm-hmm. Fuentes. Dorothea Fuentes. Oh, Dor- yes. yeah. Just yeah. really took me on a ride. I did not expect it. <laughs> really? You um, haven't heard that case before? I hadn't heard that case before. Mm, and like I said, okay. I'm always excited when I find new true crime things. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not um, this is a different medium, but I don't know if you all listen to the You Must Remember this podcast. If you don't, you should. It's by Christina Longworth. Um, She is prominent in the podcast circles. Um, She talks all about um, just this really started talking about uh, actors, actresses, the studio system of yore starting in uh, the 1920s. But Mm -hmm. she has this phenomenal and I mean phenomenal series of episodes on um on oh no <laughs> he's very very on charles manson and the manson family oh
1: manson like okay.
3: yeah and i thought that i i was just like i know everything i need to know about the manson family you know i like this is one like if you're interested in serial killers this is serial killer 101 kind of thing even though he didn't technically kill anyone um but he did lead other people to do that um And that was more spree killing, I guess, than serial killing. Mm -hmm. But uh, according to the technical definition, anyway, um, (laughs) uh, her series on a crime to remember is amazing. And you can actually find it on YouTube if you want to get all of the episodes um, just kind of like in a clump and not have as many commercials. Mm -hmm. Um, She has really cool people doing reenactments of all the voices and she goes in depth into kind of how how not only Charles Manson's growing up, but how he tried to get himself into the music scene in LA, in L.A., um, uh, you know, and with Terry Melcher and people like that um, and and failed um, and how he really took his revenge as a result of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what is another if you haven't seen the Paradise Lost series?
1: Latanya La you're th- 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 there's so much we're writing it all down <laughs> yeah this is the last that's the last yes, one I will yes <laughs> if you haven't
3: seen the Paradise Lost series I would definitely recommend recommend those movies as well
1: I've seen those yes yeah yeah you're gonna have us knee deep in 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 uh stuff <laughs> to watch yeah uh, I was like I promise this will be the last one <laughs> no problem um all right so uh Latanya just uh Tell us where you um, tell us where people can find you. You can find me on
3: Twitter at LK Starks, and I will be there talking about all kinds of things. I recently did a podcast for post-show recaps guested on the severance podcast, which is a new Apple TV plus show. Um, I was, uh, we finished up our Oscars podcasting mm-hmm. yesterday with Grace and Ariel. Um, I'm also doing a podcast on Pam and Tommy Lee, uh, which nope. is a TV show on Hulu. Um, yeah. And then I have some secret projects.
2: Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, you two are fun uh, coming up
3: coming up soon um, that I want all of you to stay tuned so you can check out. You can also follow me on Instagram at Stormborn twelve twenty two.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so uh, as Murray says at crime scene we, we re- really do want to hear your feedback you can give us suggestions for future episodes you can tell us what you think you can tell us who your favorite serial killer is apparently people have favorite serial killers so wow. you can follow crime scene on twitter at crime scene RHAP and that scene spelt S E E N. You can email us at crime scene RHAP at gmail.com. You can follow me at Sarah Carradine on Twitter. And I'm currently doing a couple of recaps for post show recaps Bridgerton and Our Flag Means Death.
1: Ooh. And what about you, Mari? <laughs> Okay, so of course you can find me on the Wrestling Half Up podcast every week with Matt Scott GW, uh, where we go over the highlights in wrestling for the week. And uh, I, I meant to interrupt La- Latonya. We can actually spoil that super secret project. Um, me and Latanya. Oh, we can? Yes, I, we I can. I didn't think we could. We can. Uh, Me, LaTanya, and Chappelle, uh, if you are familiar with our Insecure, the final season of Insecure coverage, we are back to cover Atlanta for post-show recap. So uh, hopefully you are listening to that. Or if not, I'm telling you now so you can go and listen to that right now. Um, But we are covering season three of Atlanta so come join us as we go on this weird, wacky European ride with Ern and the gang and um, have some, hopefully some funny and in-depth discussions about a, a very just in its own lane type of show.
0: Mm. Incredible. Incredible. I can't so much fun. wait for that. Yay. Yes
1: exactly uh next time on crime scene we'll be reviewing icarus uh which is a feature length documentary uh uh, based on like a russian doping scandal so i'm very excited about that
2: Oh, look, mm. thanks so much to our sublime guest, Latonia Starks. Thank you so much for coming <laughs> and and being on the podcast. It was wonderful. Thank you
3: both so much for having me here to talk about true crime. I am so just excited about this podcast and everything that you all are doing here. And I'm really happy to be a part of it.
2: Well, we'd love to have you back again. Oh, oh I'll be yes, back. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. Please. Okay, great. Thanks to Will. Oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry you know, I do. I promise. Obviously. Excellent. Um, thanks to Will from America for the theme music and Scott Saint Pierre behind the scenes. Until next time, case, case closed. closed. <laughs> <laughs>